Blog Talk Radio. Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous pork chop down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. 
dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal heart. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Hey, Tom, you there? I think you guys are having a little bit of technical difficulties this morning. Hey. There. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike... You know, dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. 
I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Hi, who's this? I can hear myself. So, we're trying to... When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like, Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal art. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. So the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. 
Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Indianapolis, Indiana, scene of the world's greatest race course. This is Sid Collins saying welcome to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. This racetrack has been the scene of some of the most spectacular, most thrilling, some of the saddest, and some of the most glorious moments in the entire world of sports. For A.J. Foyt, winner of the Golden Anniversary 500-mile race. One of the most thrilling, surprising, exciting finishes ever. Set to go once again with our coast-to-coast radio coverage of the world-famous 500-mile race. This is the true endurance test of man and machine. He was a perfectionist himself. Uh, he was a class act. He, he dressed the part, he acted the part. He was a real professional. And I think he'll always be remembered as the voice of the 500. The 500, the greatest race in the world. By 1954, listening to the 500 was a tradition worldwide. Radios from Tokyo to Tinseltown heard Sid Collins deliver all the race day excitement. He painted such an image for me. I mean, it was powerful. The golden pace car will make an abrupt cut into the pits at a 45-degree angle at 90 miles an hour. Here they come down the main straightaway for the world's fastest flying start. There's the green flag and the 500-mile race. Sid was the first voice of the 500 network. His poetic style and smooth voice informed fans for over 25 years. He was the architect of today's 500 broadcast. And Sid had a particular flair. He was he uh, he could turn a phrase, as they say, unlike uh, most anybody else. He was always extremely well prepared. Sid was never at a loss for word. A race fever has reached the boiling point now, fans. The cars will pass us like a jet rocket, and here they come. There's the green flag, and the race is on. He was almost the star. You knew Sid and his voice and uh, so forth, maybe better than a lot of the drivers. I think that Sid and his crew created a magic on that one day of the year that drew the entire country. Victory Lane, two words with no parallel to men who devote their lives to speed and competition and raw courage. Sid was a very unique individual, always immaculately dressed, uh, always uh, aware of his presence, and very much into the race. 
This was not just a job for Sid. This was indeed a lifetime achievement event for him. Sid was a master at making four and a half, five and a half hours seem intriguing. The engine's now gathering strength and volume, settling to a pulsating roar as they go into the back stretch. The waiting is over. The magical moment of the start of the race rapidly approaching. Each man is alone now, all reduced to the singular conflict. 32 others are pitting their resources against his. I enjoyed listening to Sid because he made the exciting moments exciting. Over and here's a skid right in front of us, number 83, spinning around three times, four times, right on the main stretch. What? Don yeah. Davis Wetchett out there. Well, right around the outside of Davis went the Cooper Climax by inches, and Don Davis is situated right now in his car, getting up and out right in the middle of the main stretch, getting up dejectedly, walking away, and there are two cars going around, and number 73 again. Well, right in front of the main stretch, two cars flip, get the glasses on them, and see who they are. A third car bumps, and the entire main stretch oh. is upside down. Sid delivered the race in a style all his own, but it was in 1955 that he would coin a phrase that put him and the Speedway on the map forever. In radio, you needed, in those days, to tell the local station it's now time for you to roll your commercials. Now all that's done electronically. Didn't, didn't have that then. So they needed a phrase, and they needed a catchphrase. Now stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. It would give me goosebumps. Whenever I hear that, then I, uh, you know, that's, that's Sid Collins. The day that he took over the 500 and coined the phrase, the greatest spectacle in racing, it changed his life. Uh, to, to, to the day that he passed away. 1955 also presented Sid with his first crisis situation, a true test for any broadcaster. The caution light is out indicating trouble. Let's go to the back stretch and Jack Shapiro. Bill Vukovic evidently going to the outside to miss the trouble, went over the wall, and that car is still burning over there. Why don't you drop the mic for a second, go check, and come call us back when you see those numbers. We won't call you until you get back, I'll check the car okay? that is burning. I certainly Bye. will, Sid. In the midst of all the chaos, Sid took control of the situation live and unscripted. Sid stayed calm and kept listeners informed, even when the worst news of all filtered to the booth. Here we have never had to make such an announcement, and we're most regretful. Bill Vukovic, three-time winner of the 500-mile race, almost, trying for his third consecutive today, trapped in his car in the backstretch, was injured fatally. When the network entered its second decade, over 700 stations broadcast the 500. Sid and his staff wanted the race to reach every corner of the globe, and they were getting close. Sid was so proud of the network, and he often used to boast, this is the largest radio network in the world, larger than NBC, ABC, Mutual, any of the old networks. Just about everywhere where English was spoken, you could, uh, you could get it. At any Sid and his crew developed the race broadcast to include more than just the leader and the lap count. There would be great periods of time when it was just nothing much going on, you know. So what he did was uh, he had all kinds of ideas for um, uh, guests, uh, dignitaries that he thought would make the show more interesting to the to the. Uh, to the average listener, so he, he'd get the Hollywood types on there. And now Indy was more than a sporting event. It was a social event. Songs just with Dinah Shore. Are you getting uh, ready for your trip to Victory Lane in a couple of hours, Dinah? Oh, I tell you, the moment when I get to present that Borgwana trophy is going to be the thrill of my life. Unbelievably uh, exhilarating. It 
occasion when that pacing car came down the stretch. I like that. Yeah, I thought that was colorful. That added something to it. An dimension to the broadcast that you know, I didn't know the broadcast had at the time. I mean, it, big name people do come here for this race. He was also able to keep you entertained in the laps when, if nothing was happening, it could get boring. Um, and it never did. Well, A.J. Foyt has a new car with an upright engine this year on the left, and uh, he, of course, is a rather quiet fellow. In fact, he's very, very uh, modest indeed, and it's hard to get him to say anything. Five laps to go, and Eddie Sachs, as they say in horse racing circles, at this moment, winning, going away. However, anything could happen. And now coming oh, in for a pit Sachs. stop is Eddie Sachs. A surprise, oh, a pit wait. stop for Eddie Sachs coming in. And they're still working and going by as A.J. Foyt takes the lead from Eddie Sachs in the south turn with three laps to go. He was a history reporter. He wanted to correctly report history. He didn't want to give bad information. And the golden anniversary 500-mile race is on. The number one turn at Mike Ahern. And here they come into the number one turn, accelerating out of the back and taking the lead. Well, let's see the right. We have an accident on the main stretch, Mike. Hold it. We have a terrible accident on the main stretch. Our policy has always been... You call what you see, and you don't make any judgments about anyone's condition or anything. It was that kind of perfection and preparation that got Sid through the start of the 1964 race. There has been a spectacular crash, almost at the head of the main stretch. There's so much fire and so much smoke, it's un I am unable to see any car at all. A seven-car crash claimed the lives of drivers Eddie Sachs and Dave McDonald. We're all speeding toward death at the rate of 60 minutes every hour. The only difference is that we don't know uh, how to speed faster, and Eddie Sachs did. And so since death has a thousand or more doors, Eddie Sachs exits this earth in a race car. Knowing Eddie, I assume that's the way he would have wanted it. Sid's emotional eulogy is considered one of the most moving moments in 500 history. Indianapolis Speedway is a sentimental place for all its accent on technical excellence and harsh reality. That sentiment was personified by the much admired owner of the track, Tony Holman, who died last autumn. There's been a lot of speculation and some mystery this month as to who would succeed Tony to utter the words, gentlemen, start your engines. New President Joe Cloutier said he would not be the one, but he would not reveal who it would be. Well, most appropriately, it is going to be the widow of Tony Holman, Mary Holman. There's Mrs. Holman now, obviously moved by this moment. Lady! Lady! Indianapolis, Mrs. Mary Holman, another first for Indy. Not too many years ago, women were not even allowed in the pit. And now, race fast. We continue our same-day coverage of the Indianapolis the 500. It's time now for the words that are so familiar here, for years uttered by owner Tony Holman, now by his widow, Mrs. Mary Holman. Let's go down to trackside now. Mrs. Tony Holman uttering the words, used to be simply gentlemen start your engines, now of course it's lady and gentlemen start your engines in honor of Janet Guthrie, the only woman in the field, the other, only woman who has ever raced here. Look at A.J. Foyt. That's Mrs. Mary Holman, the widow 
of Tony Holman. She'll be giving the command to start the engines for the first time since 1976. It'll be only two men because Janet Guthrie, the only woman ever to drive at Indianapolis, she drove in 77, 78, and 79, did not qualify this time. So it'll sound like it did in 76. Gentlemen, start your engines. And the usual response from the crowd of some 380,000. crowd gathered all through the night out on 16th Street until the gates open, and now they're all in place. A vast throng and stands all around its two-and-a-half-mile race course, others standing in the infield. At this moment, as you see, the road has been cleared of everyone except drivers and crews. It's time now. Time for Mrs. Mary Holman to give the most famous command in American sport. This is Tony Holman and the most famous sentence in American sport. Gentlemen, start your engines. And so they have. Like the traditional words about to be spoken by Mrs. Mary Holman, the widow of the man who made the Speedway what it is today. Americans are not given to brevity, but there are a few short sentences that we first hear as children and react to with excitement all our lives. The brief statements are, play ball, they're off, and gentlemen, start your engines. The command about to be given by Mrs. Mary Holman, the widow of the man who made the Speedway what it is today. Gentlemen, start your engines. And ready. The engines will actually be started by crew members at the time. In the back. No self-starters in these. And now, the moment has arrived for the traditional cry. by for Mrs. Mary Holman, the widow of Tony Holman, the man who made this race course and this event what it is today. Here's Jim. Yes, the moment and the words that we have been waiting have arrived. And it's that time here to give the traditional command is the chairman of the board of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Mrs. Mary F. Holman. Soon, the 11 rows of three will unleash their furies down the main straightaway. 800 left-hand turns, 200 laps, 500 miles. We go now to the pace car. For those four words that we have all been waiting to hear. To give the traditional command is Chairman Emeritus of the board of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, 
Miss Mary Holman. Gentlemen, start your engines. Fendrick Holman. Ready? Hey, you there? Hello? Motor Speedway, Mrs. Mary Frederick Hallman. words. Ladies and gentlemen, we are at that time of the day for the command that will start the 75th running of this event. Here to give the traditional four words is Chairman Emeritus of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Board, Mrs. Mary Fendrick Hallman. Get your arm, get your leg over this way. Which way? I can't. Okay. Just say it now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Gentlemen, start your engines. We move now to the head of the field where the next words will be spoken. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the moment for the words we have been waiting to hear has arrived. And to give those words is Chairman Emeritus of the Board of Directors of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Mrs. Mary Holman. Motor Speedway Board, Mrs. Mary Fendrick Hallman. 
whether that promotes the race, uh, the 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 passing or not on the racetrack. Well, you know, there, there there's a lot of things that we'll just have to wait until we get to to places like California and Las Vegas to see. Something else that they've done this year, and it, they are promoting this year, and have made changes that 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 has been long time. Uh, uh, a a policy within the sport going all the way back to the founding is is that this year they are going to start disqualifying winners from the race, which means not only do are they going to be disqualified uh, for the win, but they're going to lose the money, the trophy, the points, and everything to go along with it. Bill France Sr., when he started the sport, was a proponent of letting people know and 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 have making sure that people knew who the winner was before they left the racetrack that day. But now we're in a social media area with 24-hour news cycles in which information can be disseminated faster than ever. NASCAR is going to take the winner. They're going to tech the winner right there at the racetrack. They're going to tech the second-place car at the racetrack. They're also going to pull a random car as usual, and they're going to tech the, that car also. If the winner is found to be uh, uh, ineligible or, or breaking the rules, they're going to disqualify the winner this year and give the win to the second-place finisher, providing that their car will pass post-race inspection. Now, the only thing that they are going to do with that is they're going to tech the car and tear the car down, and then they're going to take the engines back for further further analysis later on in the week at the R&D Center. So, you know, those are just a couple of things that NASCAR is already changing leading into the 2019 season. We'll talk with Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. Uh, it's been the off-season for NASCAR. We're getting ready to get back on, on track here and, and have regular uh, report from uh, Steve Wilson and Speedway Digest. Make sure you check out his work at SpeedwayDigest.com. Okay, one of the things that we see every year and we're beginning to see more and more prevalent, and that's the young versus the old. And uh, when I don't really mean old as in old as in age, but just old as in the length of time in a race car, we're seeing a lot of young faces uh, making their names. Is this a year where we see one of the young up-and-coming stars really uh, uh, own the track and become uh, a, a star of the future? Well, I think we saw a little bit of that in 2018. We had Ryan Blaney and and Chase Elliott both going back to victory lane. Um, we saw both of them compete in the 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 season-ending playoffs. We've seen Wallace up and coming over throughout the years. Joey Logano won the championship last year. Uh, he's still a respectable uh, younger guy within the crop of uh, drivers that are still out there. Sure, we have some drivers aging out and on that rim of aging out, the Kevin Harvick's and the Jimmy Johnson's of the world, but there, Johnson may not have been as competitive in 2018 as he has been in the past, but we still saw Kevin Harvick be able to keep up with those drivers out there. Martin Truex Jr. is still another driver out there that uh, he's got a handful of years out there left for him, so, you know, he's got no retirement on the, the, the horizon. But, you know, we, we've seen this younger and younger crowd continue to come into NASCAR as the ages continue to depress year after year as drivers continuously get into the sport of motorsports younger and younger. And I, I think that will just continue into the near future. Uh, hopefully the Eric Joneses of the world or the William Byrons of the world will start stepping up into their respective uh 
uh, um, uh, echelons of popularity and, and performance at the same time. So, yes, I, I think we're going to see this curve eventually begin to phase out some of these older drivers, and we're going to see more first-time winners, more younger winners in victory lane um, than we probably have ever in the past. Well, and I certainly do believe that. But also, uh, speaking of old, I mean, if you're a if you're a Kyle Busch hater uh, or lover, one of the you're either a lover or a hater of Kyle Busch, and those that hate him will better brace themselves for 2019 uh, because his name will be on a lot of headlines as he continues to move up on the all-time list. Busch enters um, the season ranked 11th on the on the Cup Series uh, career wins. He entered last season with 43 victories, ranked 17th on that list. But leapfrog Bill Elliott, Buck Baker, Herb Thomas, Tony Stewart, uh, Junior Johnson, and Ned Jarrett uh, via his eight wins. Um, those are some pretty big names uh, to be associated with. And certainly, I think one of the things that we can say about Bush and about Kyle Bush, uh, and but the Bush brothers in general, but especially Kyle Bush, he's uh, the real deal. And uh, Yes, a lot of people love to hate Kyle Busch, and I get that and I understand that, uh, but he's certainly associated with one of the greatest drivers of all time. Yeah, in the modern era, I think it's hardly arguable to the fact that what he's been able to accomplish in such a fairly short amount of time, he's still he's still very, very young. He He's not made that curve yet. It doesn't look like he's slowing down. In fact, I, in fact, I think he's accelerating his pace of going to victory lane, uh, of his performance improving over time. Um, you know, it, it will, I don't, I don't think he's ever going to go up there and he's going to be challenging a Richard Petty, uh, uh, for, for the, for the all time winners list. Um, but I do think that he's going to put a good challenge on the next five to six places out there. Um, will we end up third? I say that probably a respectable third in the, in the all time win list. Um, you know, even second place is, um, uh, uh, over a hundred and it's over 125 wins. So, you know, there's, there's still a lot of racing that he has left, but I think it's just going to be incredibly hard with the way that the schedule is. And, you know, if, if NASCAR continues to promote possibly in the future, going into 2021 and 2022, um, you know, some of the ideas that have been floated around, such as cutting, the, the Cup Series schedule down, um, it's just going to make that um, ascension even harder for him. And, uh, you know, the, these aren't the days of running 70 races a year. You know, these guys run 36, 37 races a year. And, um, you know, for, for him to be able to do what he's done in this modern era is pretty impressive, regardless of uh, of that all-time winner's list. Well, certainly you mentioned one of the all-time winners of all time is Kyle Petty. Uh, and obviously we know his car and his car number. Bubba Wallace is now the driver of that car and is also a, a uh, uh, being mentored and trained by Kyle Petty. We're seeing Bubba Wallace uh, making some huge strides. We saw it happen in 2018. Uh, I, I suspect that we'll see it again in 2019. Talk with us about the young Bubba Wallace, obviously uh, the, the son of, uh, I believe, Daryl Wallace. Uh, but uh, certainly a, a Kyle Petty uh, child, if you will, uh, on the racetrack and certainly uh, racing that uh, famous Kyle Petty car. 
Yeah, for for Bubba Wallace, he he's been a guy that's come up all the way through the Can-Am series. He's won he's won in the Truck Series on, on multiple occasions back there for Kyle Busch Motorsports. Um, so you know, again, he's got some tie in to Kyle Busch. Uh, <laughs> I, I I think it's hard at this point, you know, for a lot of these drivers to say that they haven't had something to do with Kyle Busch. Um, but you know, for him, uh, you know, his rookie rookie season being last year out there, I, they, there's he was very impressive into it. Nobody expected him to go out there and, and and win one or two or three races in the year, um, even though that Ryan Blaney did it in his rookie year and and Elliot, uh, Chase Elliott went absent in a win uh, in his rookie year. It wasn't until last year that he was able to put some wins up on the board. Um, but, you know, Bo Wallace come into the series, and, I mean, he had been off and on um, between various different cars within uh, uh, the trucks and Xfinity already. Uh, he had been running for Roush Fenway Racing, in the Xfinity series, and then he got a ride uh, when Eric Almarola in the 43 had wrecked out and was able to go out and uh, run some races in that, get some seat time into that. I see him, uh, excuse me, um, and I know he, he had two, he had two top 10 finishes last year. So that, you know, that's, that starts a place for him. I think that was respectable in his first year to go out there and be able to, to, to be able to be in those type of positions. Um, he not only did that, he was second in the Daytona 500 last year, just, uh, just, you know, it, it, that's an incredibly hard race. It's been a race of attrition, especially somebody with as little experience in, in the cup cars, being able to go out there as a rookie and finish second. Um, I, I, I think, again, that's very respectful. This year he's going to um, need to continue to work and build upon those, hopefully with their closer relationship and alliance with uh, Richard Childress Racing, that they're going to be able to continue putting that 43 car in better positions this year overall. We're talking with Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief, Speedway Digest, uh, our official NASCAR contributor. Check out his work at SpeedwayDigest.com and at on Twitter at Speedway uh, Digest. Steve, I tell you what, we were just talking about the the young and the drivers and the and the older drivers and the winningest drivers. You know, certainly we 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 can't include the conversation of Kevin Harvick and Jimmy Johnson. Uh, but are we looking at the beginning of the end for both of these drivers, uh, predominantly with Jimmy Johnson? We saw him really struggle last year, uh, as well as. Kevin Kevin Harvick had a great start uh, and had a great season, but maybe he's also reached that pinnacle. Uh, We're going to start seeing these torches being passed down more and more, and I know that uh, Jimmy Johnson uh, says he's at the peak of health and he's going to keep moving forward, Uh, but I I just would think that maybe we're starting to see the beginning of the end for both uh, Kevin Harvick and Jimmy Johnson. I know a lot of people probably expected that when Lowe's dropped out and their new sponsor starting this year, Ally, is coming on board, that there would be some kind of subsequent announcement to the fact that says, you know, that, that Jimmy Johnson was going to say, I'm going to run this thing out and I'm going to be done, but we've got no such indication from him. Do I think that he's at the pinnacle of his career and, and, and the the ending? Yes, I, I think he's met the pinnacle of his career. I think he's on that downward slide at this point. Is he healthy? Yeah, sure. I, I don't have any doubt in my mind that, that Jimmy Johnson isn't healthy. But as the talent in NASCAR continues to be cultivated at a younger and younger age, uh, Johnson himself didn't even get into NASCAR or, or stock car racing until – much later in the curve than we're seeing now. 
uh, I think the talent pool that we are beginning to see develop and moving throughout the series are uh, are, are unfortunately going to put Jimmy Johnson on the outside of uh, of 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 what we saw last year. I think that'll become more of the norm than the exception of Jimmy Johnson. And sure, Jimmy in his career has had these up and down seasons, but probably not as bad as he had in 2018. Hopefully some redirection here in 2019. Um, But do I see him going back to his pinnacle of his career, uh, winning uh, four, five, six, seven races a year? Um, No, I don't. Um, I, I think he's going to struggle yet again this year, uh, and again, that that's a that's a relation to the talent pool that we're seeing in NASCAR today. Um, I think he's got a couple of good years left to him. I think that he can continue helping drivers on the racetrack because I believe that he's not just there to win races, but he's also there to continue help cultivating the next um, the next crop of drivers that we're going to see in the future. But yes, I do think at some point in the near future that we will see him step aside from that number 48 car. And I think with between Junior Motorsports and Hendrick Motorsports working together, the alliance now between Junior Motorsports and GMS Racing to bring people from the truck to the Xfinity and now to to, to the Cup Series, there, there's that wholesale uh, line of succession, and I think that 48 car will become part of that succession in the near future. As far as Kevin Harvick, again, I think he, yes, he won last year. Yes, he, he competed in the final race of uh, 2018 for a championship. To um, But, again, I, I think, again, with him, um, he's beginning that transition over to to television. He's going to be in television more this year, and I will I say that in the next couple of years, just like Jimmy Johnson, we will see that uh, the succession in the four car begin to move somebody else into that position, and Kevin Harvick begin to make his transition over to radio and television. Well, yeah, absolutely, and we certainly we've seen that happen, and then the good success uh, that you've seen Jeff Gordon have in the broadcast uh, booth, and, and uh, 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 Jamie McMurray is moving over to the broadcast booth as as well, and that brings us to another topic. There, uh, we're seeing a lot of drivers making that next step, where a lot of people would think whether they will stay in the car somehow, whether it be through ownership or or uh, development or whatever, but we're seeing a, a lot of drivers, and it's not uncommon in sports. It happens a lot in football, especially. Uh, we're seeing as they retire, they go over to uh, the broadcast uh, booth, and let's face it, the money's pretty good, and they don't have to work as hard for it. Uh, but uh, certainly Jamie McMurray is the latest example of those that move out of the car and into the broadcast booth. Yeah, I mean, he's going to run the Daytona 500, and I think there's some select races that he's going to continue to race uh, throughout the year. Uh, it's going to be in a partnership with uh, Chuck Ganassi Racing with Spire Sports as the actual uh, car hold, uh, as the car owner, um, somebody that's uh, managed him and his career over the uh, last number of years. Um, but you also think of A.J. Allmendinger. A.J. Allmendinger, too, is stepping away from the car. He was just at the Rolex 24 a couple of weeks ago. He not only raced in the race, but he was part of the broadcast team. So, you know, those are two drivers this year um, that are stepping um, either totally away from the car or partially away from the car. 
Uh, Kevin Harvick, again, on Fox, just announced that he's going to be part of the broadcast team on a more rotational basis than just guest starring, as he has in the past. Um, You've got Rusty Wallace that is over at MRN. So, you know, in NASCAR, you know, we've seen this over the years with Ned Jerry. We've seen this with Benny Parson. We've seen this with uh, Buddy Baker. Um, lots of drivers have come out of the race car and made that transition over to, to the broadcast. And, uh, you know, I, I look forward to seeing some of the new perspectives that we're going to get. Um, Dale Jr. is a prime example that we saw last year at NBC with Stephen Card, his uh, old crew chief. Um, so, you know, matching Jeff Gordon up over at Fox, who, who has made the transition in the last two two years, three years or so, and um, now with Kevin Harvick coming on on a more full-time basis, um, I, I do, I, you know, again, I see these as moves by Fox um, to eventually move the succession um, on that side. Um, we may not see uh, Daryl Wallace Jr. and Michael Waltrip. Uh, um, Wallace. I mean, Daryl Waltrip and uh, Michael Waltrip. I, I, I think that in the future, that as we start seeing uh, AJ Allmendinger, as we start seeing um, Jamie McMurray, as we start seeing uh, Ricky Craven, who's also been brought over from ESPN um, to Fox. Um, that some of these drivers that we've seen traditionally in the past and some of these broadcasters that we've seen traditionally over the last 10 years or so, I say some of them are going to start retiring out as we start getting new faces to, to cover the sport. We're talking with Steve Wilson at Speedway Digest. Uh, we, we had some technical difficulties at the beginning of the show, so things got moved back a little bit. So we will get into the NBA talk uh, here in about 15 or 20 minutes as we finish up our, our NASCAR uh, talk. But, you know, 2018, uh, the end of 2018 it happened, 2019 is here, but we really are talking about 2020. Let's start talking about some of the elephants in the room. Heck, most of, of the talk at the end of 2018 was already about 2020. Among those familiar faces that uh, will be missing this season will be former NASCAR chairman Brian France, uh, who's been uh, absentee since his August 2018 arrest for DWI and possession of a controlled substance ever since his uncle Jim France and former vice president uh, Steve Phelps uh, took the reins. Speculation about the sport's future has moved into overdrive, uh, many hoping that the sport's uh, governing body will finally uh, take some bigger swings, particularly when it comes to scheduling. You know, Phelps, Phelps has uh, said all along that nothing's off the table, Steve, and moving forward. Meanwhile, the sanctioning body continues to move forward, buying up interna- uh, International Speedway Incorporated stock, uh, in an effort to, to merge the two entities. Uh, so in 2020, the year that brings the, the, the midweek summer primetime races at short tracks uh, like Nashville, Fairgrounds, and so forth will all be ran by, by NASCAR. So let's talk about some of these elephants in the room for 2020. Yeah, I think there's a there's going to be a lot of conversations going through both this year and uh, you know 20, 2020 is really where we're going to see a lot of these conversations develop. The the track that'll that'll be the last years of the track uh, um, agreements that they have out there. Uh, you're right, uh, ISC is in the verge of being bought out and, and taken private by NASCAR and the family, the France family, that, that not only is a majority stockholder in ISC, but, you know, is the majority stockholder uh, or the majority owners within NASCAR itself. Um, so I, I, we're going to see this consolidation. We're seeing the consolidation continue to happen. Uh, fanatics who came into the sport very bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, 
detailed on merchandising in two years has dropped the sport and it's merchandising, uh, relegating uh, SMI, <clears throat> the the other track holder, um, to to go back in house to con- for their merchandising. ISC is going to both work in house with uh, themselves, SMI, and a third party company. Um, so we're going to see a return to the trailers at the racetrack as we had traditionally seen in the past. And I know last year we did see some of that. But it, but there's a lot of changes that are going to continue to happen and continue to develop. Um, there's no point that I see um, Brian France back in the sport at this time. Um, yeah, I, I think he's got to work through his his issues. And, um, you know, I, Jim France and, and Lisa, who is Brian's sister, both are uh, taking that role over. Ben Kennedy, which is part of the succession plan in the France family, has been promoted once again to uh, racing operations and international development. So I would see his continued ascension uh, within the the management roles of NASCAR over the next uh, three to five years. He he does have a degree in sports management from the University of Florida. Um, he's been in the sport and he knows the sport. So I will I say that, you know, Jim is playing the groundwork for the future of the sport and whatever that may look like, um, you know, the France family, I, they're, they're going to continue to be involved no matter what. Um, sure, I know there's been a lot of people out there speculating and there's been a lot of speculation as to whether they're going to sell the sport and if they're going to sell the sport and how much they're going to sell it for. But, um, you know, the France family are going to continue to have um, – some control within the support or this sport or controlling this support uh, the sport into the future and, and they're doing this and they're laying the groundwork as far as you know wh- where they go in 2021 um you're right every option is open we've heard everything from down we've heard to go into different racetracks and is looking at going to different racetracks isc is not a, is not right now a player in the market uh, uh looking at alternative venues um, they're investing their money in upgrading their current assets, where SMI is looking outside of their asset list and, and going to places like fairgrounds. They're they're looking at other options um, for for events, and and I think what you are going to see is you're going you're already seeing this cultural shift within NASCAR uh, um, by 2021, 2022, I would honestly think that NASCAR is going to be in that position where they're going to have to lessen the number of events that they run at these intermediate racetracks and start shifting some of those assets over to, to other venues. Now, whether the Cup Series, you know, the Cup Series is a little bit harder because of their, their requirements, but I do see in the Truck Series, I see in the Xfinity Series, I can see those assets be shifted over or returned back um, to tracks that uh, are not owned by NASCAR or owned by ISC or SMI um, to events that we ha- used to see in the, the 80s and 90s where uh, a place like South Boston, which is owned by Pocono, or, or a place like Myrtle Beach or a place like Fairgrounds uh, and any numerous other racetracks that I can see some assets starting to begin to shift over because the cultural shift is already being uh, has already began in, in this sport, 
and the fans are demanding more road courses. They're they're demanding more uh, uh, short tracks, and, and for the future of the sport, I I have to believe that that the fans are 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 going to almost give some guidance to NASCAR on where the money is going to have to be spent in order to continue capturing audiences. We're talking with Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. We're getting ready for the uh, Daytona 500 coming up on February 17th, the granddaddy of them all. Let's shift gears back to Bush and not not the Bush brothers, but Bush Beer. Bush Beer is taking uh, recycling to an unusual direction. Steve, you probably heard about this, by turning a race car into beer cans as part of the company's celebration of its 40 years of the Daytona 500. In fact, the sheet metal and carbon fiber from Kevin Harvick's 2018 number four Stuart Haas Racing Ford will be used in this wacky stump, making up special car two can uh, collection. Bush Beer officials uh, brought the idea last year uh, uh, Kevin Harvick said and uh, these cans will be made up of pieces of my car from the 2018 season and that he's excited for the cans to be released. I can't wait for the fans to see them. I think that's a very interesting idea and I think that would be one can of beer that I would buy and never open up. (laughs) Well, uh, I don't think that's as wacky as Bush Beer also saying that uh, if Kevin Harvick didn't win the championship in 2018, that they were going to come out with an emoji um, uh, uh, paint scheme in 2019. Well, um, I, I, that that one didn't age very well. So it remains to be seen on whether they come out with this uh, emoji style uh, paint scheme for Bush Beer in 2019 and put it on his race car or not. But um, it is a cool opportunity for for um, fans to go out there and both. Uh, bid or win on these uh, beer cans that that have been uh, produced from the Kevin Harvick number four machine from last year, um, and, and I, it's it's an interesting way to market your brand in NASCAR because honestly, I can't say that anybody has done something like this before. It's almost as unique as the cat in the hat uh, uh, that Roush uh, Engineering uh, uh, put together for their cars. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about the, the entries in the, the 2019 Daytona 500 uh, coming up on February 17th. And uh, we might as well uh, get the other Bush out there and talk about Kurt Busch. Talk with us about Kurt Busch and the Daytona 500 2019. Kurt Busch won the, uh, the Daytona 500 just two years ago. Moving over to a brand-new team this year with Chip Ganassi Racing, Kurt Busch has been a driver that, no, you don't – Kyle Busch will outshines him on the racetrack. But one thing that Kurt Busch has been able to do is that every team that he's been with in the past, and you think, you've got to think back over the last number of years – and, and, and forget about you know his 2000 win championship and his um his downfall at Ralph Fenway Racing, but think about what he's done since that time. He's gone to Furniture Row Racing. He went to Furniture Row Racing. They were a relatively unknown racing. Nobody really paid much attention to them. He was able to go and win the the Southern 500 with them. He was able to build that team up and give them direction. Um. I, he he is probably one of the few people, and sure, Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Pern, all the work that they did over the last couple of years is is fairly impeccable. But Kurt Busch put them on that track, 
years prior to that. Um, when he came over to Stuart Haas Racing, <clears throat> excuse me, same way, he is a guy that can help teams develop cars and strategies and, and um, outperform race cars when they're not meant to be performed uh, uh, in any such manner. Um, he came there and he helped them build that team, just as Kevin Harvick did. Kevin Harvick helped build that team at Stuart Haas Racing. They were some very smart individuals all over there right from the get-go. But to have smart drivers get into your race cars and tell you how to change the race cars for better handling, how to change um, race strategies, yes, he's a hothead. There, there's no doubt that he's a hothead. But at the end of the day, he's been able to work with race teams and make them better. Chip Ganassi Racing has struggled for quite some time. Off and on uh, has has Kyle Larson gone to victory lane, uh, but he's been the, – the, the spotlight on him going to victory lane hasn't been as great as what CGR is able to or has been able to do in the past. He he's able to come over there and do the same and, and develop the same methodologies that he's done in the past, the same things that he's done at places like Furniture Row, the same things that he's done over at uh, um, Stuart Haas Racing. He's able to develop the team and help them out. This is a similar situation as to the same the same reason why Jack Rouse hired Matt Canvas to get in that number six car to tell them what they were doing wrong and how they could change it. So Kurt Busch is a guy that is able to do that. And, and getting past his attitude and his hothead, he's actually a very smart individual. He's actually a well-developed racer that can help teams out and get to that next level. Let's talk a little bit about BK, Brad Kolotsky, obviously racing for Team Penske. Uh, his uh, crew chief is Paul Wolf, and he's in the number 19 – I mean, I'm sorry, he's in the uh, discount tire uh, car uh, there with the Daytona 500. If he's in the race, he, he, he has an opportunity to win. So uh, I think he is probably one of the best drafting drivers that we have on the racetrack today. Uh, we've seen him win uh, in these drafting races on multiple occasions. Uh, he's learned from probably some of the best in the sport, going all the way back to his days at Junior Motorsports in the Xfinity Series. So if he's in the race and he hasn't wrecked out, He's going to be a threat no matter where he is in the pack. Just because he may be running halfway through the pack or at the back of the pack or, you know, whatever, if he's not leading and if he's not if he's not wrecked out, he's a threat no matter where he is. Former Daytona 500 winner and grandson to Richard Childers and drives the famous uh, Dale Earnhardt number three car, Austin Dillon. Uh. Well, he's the he's the he's the defending winner. Uh, whether he makes it uh, whether he makes it back to victory lane this year remains to be seen. Uh, him and Eric Almirola got together last year, uh, coming off to to the checkered flag. Uh, Almirola spun. Uh, Austin Dillon took the checkered flag. Almirola was just quoted just a week or so ago that if they, the roles were reversed, 
and, and he had an opportunity to, to put Austin Dillon in, in the wall or spin him to get him out of the way for the win, then he better be looking out this, uh, coming up to the Daytona 500. So um, uh, it, it, whether he goes back to victory lane or not, I think that, you know, Eric Omarola may have something to say about that. But uh, Richard Childress Racing has won this event multiple times. They're no stranger to victory lane. It, 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 sure, it took Dale Earnhardt Sr. 20 years to go to victory lane. But for Richard Childress Racing, they're no stranger to victory, uh, victory lane at Daytona. So, uh, yeah, look for him. Uh, look for both of them. Daniel Hambrick is coming over there this year. Um, he's a very good um, driver on these racetracks. So um, don't don't count out anybody at Richard Childress Racing. It's it's just one of those races that you know there's few drivers within the field or very few teams within the field that you really just can't count them out. So are you saying that Eric Armaloa uh, will not be invited to the up and coming uh, Austin Dillon wedding? Uh. No, I, I I don't think that they exchanged Christmas cards at the end of last year either. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Kevin Harvick. Obviously, with Stuart Haas Racing, we talked with him about him a little bit earlier on in the show, uh, and certainly we talked with him just a few minutes ago about the beer cans. But on the track, he's an, again one of these drivers you can never uh, go to sleep on, and we saw him really have a fantastic start. 2018, a lot of people thought that he would be uh, getting the the, uh, the NASCAR championship uh, at the beginning. I think we had the conversations as well as that Kevin Harvick is the real deal. So how much of that momentum carries over to 2019? I think it just depends on, well, for the Ford camp in general, they're, they're going to a new car this year. So I think a lot of their success is going to be hinging upon the fact of how well they can assimilate these cars into, uh, you know, tried and true and tested uh, other manufacturers such as Toyota and, and Chevrolet. Now, Toyota, they're going to go to a different car in the future themselves, but, um, you know, with this new car and the Mustang, it's been in the Xfinity series um, for quite some time, and it's outperformed. Um, they, they, it, it assimilated very, very quickly. In, in fact, I think it assimilated much faster than Toyota's last iteration of their car in that series. Um, and they're going to be using the Supra uh, in, in the Xfinity series. But I, I think with Kevin Harvick, I think with everybody, uh, um, you know, between Stuart Haas Racing and Penske Racing, they probably are the pinnacles of Ford right now. Um, but for them, they've, they've got to be able to assimilate these cars into um, – very, very quickly, and, and I think that remains to be seen. I think we'll have to see how the new car plays out. Not only are they just getting this new car, but they get a new package. But um, I, I, honestly, I don't, I don't see much. I don't see much change just because of the fact of uh, uh, when, when Stuart Haas Racing went from Chevrolet to Ford. I mean, they were on top of their game. You probably had to say they were arguably the the, the best Ford team out there, aside from Penske um, Penske Racing. Um, but, uh, I, I think, I think that, I think it's going to be a learning curve for everybody out there. And while they've had very limited, um, testing of these cars actually on the racetrack, um, they're going to start today and we're going to see how, how they assimilate and, and their speeds compared to other, other cars. 
The 2018 NASCAR champion was Joey Logano. Uh, again, Joey Logano surprised a lot of people with this championship, but I don't think he was very much surprised about it at all. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Joey Logano going in uh, to 2019 as the defending NASCAR champ. I think it's interesting with Joey Logano, especially his problems over the last previous number of years where uh, him and Matt Kenseth had got into it all but put him – well, it did put him out of winning a championship that year. Um, you know, he's had, to con- he's had continuous on-track um, he on track incidences with other drivers. Um, surprised, honestly, that he was able to not only get to Homestead yet again, but also win the championship. Um, so going into this year is not only the defending series champion, but also a win under his belt in the Daytona 500. Um, I think he has to step up a lot. I have, I think he has to continue to develop. I think that, um, you know, some of the on-track accidents and on-track incidences we've seen in the past, um, he's going to have to shy away from them if he wants to continue staying competitive within the sport and not only can continue gaining respect as, as, as a series champion. Let's talk a little bit about Chase Elliott. We, we've been talking about him for a few years. Obviously, he stepped in and, uh, and replaced Jeff Gordon in the race car. Uh, Chase Elliott is certainly uh, the son of a great race car driver, uh, Bill Elliott, as well. But Chase Elliott is just right there, just right there. And, but he just can't get over that hump. What does Chase Elliott have to do in 2019 uh, to get over that hump? Well, I think he made good progress between his rookie year and, and his sophomore year. He He's now a more developed race car driver, like I said earlier. His first year, he never went to victory lane, whereas his counterpart, Brian Blaney, did. Uh, Ryan Blaney went to victory lane last year, too, but – uh, Chase Elliott was able to go to mul- uh, to go to Victory Lane multiple times in 2018. Um, I, he 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 struggled in the later part of the year, um, but and I think he has to look at the long game into this. Uh, will he continue to develop as a race car driver? Yes, I think that he needs some more time to develop in these race cars. Um, but I think he's well positioned to do so. Hendrick Motorsports is giving him everything that he needs. In order to continue to develop, he's got a team around him that, um, and I'm not just talking about his dad, but I'm just talking about uh, a team of people at Hendrick Motorsports that are working around him. He was the most popular driver in 2018, so that that that's a lot. Um, you know, he he's taking over that crown from Dale Earnhardt Jr., something that his dad held um, for for 15 for about 14 15 years himself. Um, so all around he's well grounded he understands the sport he understands uh, the, uh he understands these race cars he's been around them um and i think it's just a development it's a development um issue at this time where he's going to continue to develop over the year he's going to continue to develop over his career um i i i think he's going to go out there and he's going to be all right but he's just going to have to continue to be able to develop over the next several years or so Denny Hamlin in the number 11 FedEx car, uh, certainly, ha- again, one of those drivers who, who needs a break. We've seen 
him over the last couple of years make significant strides. And certainly we remember that horrific uh, crash that he had uh, a few years back and certainly broke his back and able to come back uh, from that injury and just having some incredible seasons. Uh, again, a guy that deserves a break is Denny Hamlin in the number 11 FedEx car. Oh, unfortunately for Denny Hamlin, injuries have plagued him and continue to plague him. Um, we, we've seen him get out of the car on multiple occasions. Um, I don't see where these injuries are going to get any better for him. They're going to continue to worsen, which is going to continue to diminish his career. Uh, I think he'll have some bright spots. I think that he's really on the cusp right now of being the next person out over at Joe Gibbs Racing. He's had a decent run with them. He's had some wins. He's he's done a, he's accomplished a lot with Joe Gibbs Racing, but I see in the next couple of years, or maybe in the next year or two, that he may be on the outside, just as we've seen um, Daniel Suarez this year on the outside uh, and moving over to Stuart Haas Racing. Um, Denny needs to devote some time to the injuries that have plagued him over time. Maybe he needs to step away from the race car and, and with the realization that Dale Earnhardt Jr. did when he stepped away and knew that he needed to take care of some of those injuries. Um, and until he does so, I think he's going to continue to be plagued, uh, honestly. I think he um, – I, I, I don't have any doubts as him and a race car driver. I just think that the unfortunateness of some of his injuries have has plagued his abilities, and he needs some time to to uh, address those uh, both with his back um, um, that that have that have been a, a continuing issue for him. Let's talk a little bit about Martin Truex Jr. Obviously, the NASCAR champion a few years ago, uh, and we, we, we're seeing him make his. I believe this is his first year with Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, but uh, talk with us about Martin Truex uh, Jr. Certainly, he's had his ups and downs over the last couple of years. Yeah, last year was not really uh, uh, a year. I mean, they had some bright spots um, throughout the year, but there was just a cloud hanging over that team. I know a lot of them said that they were going to work hard and go all the way to Homestead, and they weren't going to give up, but you could see the frustrations that were developing with the team over the year. Um, you know, they, 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 Martin Truex Jr. had an opportunity of probably um, not putting himself out of the Roval race, but he was a little over-aggressive. I don't think that may have been the case had it been they weren't shutting down. I think that they were trying to overperform at the race, uh, at these races, um, and that just really just put a damper on their year. Um, but, you know, with, with Joe Gibbs racing, I think it'll be a whole different story this year. There's not going to be that cloud hanging over them. There's going to be a lot of continuity between the fact of he's still going to be driving the same race cars, going to have the same engines underneath the hood. He's going to have the same team around him between both the pit crew and, 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 uh, and Cole Pern as the crew chief. So I think they, they can take, they, they will be able to take and um, build upon last year. It was just an unfortunate for them between everything going on and the team shutting down that um, I, I think they just tried to overperform the race cars or overperform as a team 
And um, that just led to a lot of frustration throughout the year. And it was very, very evident in the fact of that Rove race where he was running second. He had an opportunity that he could potentially go for the win, but they became so over-aggressive that they ended up wrecking themselves out with just a couple hundred yards to go to the, to, to the finish line. So we, we, uh, we're going to have to wrap it up here, put a bow on it. But certainly we're referring to the closing of Furniture Row Racing. Let me ask you this. We know that racing is a very expensive sport. That's not anything new. But what we do see is teams shutting down, smaller teams not being able to compete. I wonder if – I'm just using this as an example, not necessarily Joe Gibbs Racing, but that's just because the team members migrated. Why could there not be some sort of agreement or – option if you will from and i'm just again using this as an example but it could be any any team insert here that has the financial capability what would keep them from just saying hey furniture row racing we want to have you merge with us we want to acquire you here's some money uh you can be a part of the 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 team you can be a part of the executive staff you can be a part of the leadership we didn't see that happen with teams like furniture row racing um, you know the dynamic in the sport is um, it continues to change, and, and we saw this. I think Furniture Row is a pretty prime example of the, of this, where we only have a handful of teams out there that are uh, considered elite teams anymore. And these elite teams, such as your Joe Gibbs Racing, your Penske, uh, your Hendrick Motorsports, um, you know your Stuart Haas Racings and etc. And they're the ones building the cars. They're the ones building the engines. They're the ones putting the money into engineering time and engineering specialists and uh, data scientists and uh, all these things that come along with making performance in NASCAR. And with that, they've consolidated the power down to just a handful or so teams and everybody else is left picking up the scraps. When you have a furniture row racing team, which is um, left with no choice but to align with one of these elite teams, like we've seen uh, many teams are aligning with the, the Hendrick Motorsports, the Wood Brothers align with Penske, uh, so on down the line. Um, these teams are just the, – the dynamic has changed into this sport where um, – a few control all the power, and we saw this was extremely evident in the fact of where Joe Gibbs Racing was building the engines, building the cars, staffing the team, but but an external team that was just paying for an alliance was outperforming them week in and week out. And, and as a team, um, I, I don't know if you can fault who you're going to fault or if you can really fault anybody, but if I'm a Joe Gibbs Racing and I'm building cars for you and I'm building engines for you and I'm staffing your pit crew every weekend and every weekend you're beating my race teams, eventually I'm just going to make it so either A, for, either a I'm going to make it so expensive that you can't compete anymore and I'm just going to charge exorbitant fees for you to continue being a part of uh, my group and me building cars and stuff for you, or B, um, I'm I, I'm I'm going to put you out of business because I want the performance for myself. I don't want everybody else to have performance. And sure, we have manufacturers out there that are trying to to have it a level playing field where they're trying to spread their money around. Where 
you know, the Joe Gibbs racings of the world and, and the Furniture Row racings as Toyota teams are getting, you know, the same amount of resources and allocation, but at the same time, um, you know, Toyota doesn't control as a manufacturer all of the ins and outs and moving parts and pieces of the sport, and, and they're not staffing they're not staffing pit crews and they're not building race cars and you know they're not building it well they build engines um for some teams but but the point is is that you know they only have so much you know they only have so much management into this and, and again i think we saw it really evident in the fact of you know where one team was was outperforming a team they were buying equipment from um you know as a business owner of that team i'm looking at this and just Thinking, well, why, why, why would I, why do I want somebody else to continue to outperform me, regardless of how much they're paying me? Um, I'm just, I need to run them out of business. I need to change something. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold, I'm, I'm gonna bring them in house, as we did with uh, Cole Burn, we did with uh, 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 Martin Truex Jr. And then, you know, or I'm just gonna have to, I'm just gonna have to run them out of business by call, uh, uh, charging them an exorbitant amount of fees. And this was really, really evident in this fact of what came down with furniture row racing. And, and and I'm not saying that that was the only thing, the, the money aspect and the performance aspect. There's a lot of other things that went into it, but that was a small por- that was a small portion of what we continue to see is becoming more and more evident in the sport where a few control all the power within the sport between the teams, the engines, the cars, the engineering, and everything. And they and we see this as more and more evident. It makes it hard for these small teams to compete. Marketing dollars these days going to these smaller teams uh, are almost non-existent. Uh, we, we've seen this with BK Racing last year where they took it. Uh, they had to close up their shop. They were auctioned off. Um, we we've seen it already this year where we've had a team says show up and say look we're coming to the Daytona 500 we sign a sponsor and then they they move in day comes along and say oh wait a minute it's too expensive for us to show up there so I'm sorry we can't come so you know as as teams compete for these marketing dollars it becomes increasingly harder for these teams to go out there and perform the 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 consolidation of power and engineering within this sport. Been talking with Steve Wilson. Steve, I appreciate you joining us today. I know we had some technical difficulties at the beginning of the show, and we we, we held you over longer than expected. And so I appreciate your your patience. Any final thoughts on uh, the Daytona 500 as far as uh, qualifying coming up? Uh, any any thoughts as far as the entries go? Any final thoughts for the Daytona 500? Well, we got 42 cars on on the list that are going to take time tomorrow afternoon for pole and outside pole qualifying, as well as set the field for the duels next Thursday. Um, Monster Energy practice coming up here this morning, a couple sessions in the afternoon with ARCA Racing later on, and then tomorrow afternoon uh, we're going to have the clash at Daytona where uh, about two dozen different drivers are going to go out there and just compete for some money in a trophy uh, in the first uh, official race of the NASCAR racing season in 2019. Steve, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? You can follow me at Speedway Digest on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash com. I'm not at Daytona this weekend, but I am going next Thursday. I'll be there from Thursday to Sunday, and then I'm going to hop on over to Atlanta, and I'm going to be in Atlanta. So uh, next couple of weeks, I'll be at the racetrack. Jet setting Steve Wilson, and we'll be following you along, and, and certainly we look forward to your reports uh, as, we, as we move through the season. You have yourself a great day, sir, and, and we'll talk with you soon.
Thanks. Take care. Have a good day. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, our official uh, NASCAR contributor uh, and uh, editor-in-chief of, of Speedway uh, Digest. My name is Tom Mark Wiesel, President. Hey, I appreciate you uh, dealing with us at the beginning of the show uh, where we had uh, some technical difficulties. I know what that difficulty is, and it will be fixed promptly after the show, but we're kind of happy to just uh, do things the old school way. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. We're going to be talking some NBA with Mo from the BS Sports Show. Also, I believe Grant Alsop is going to join us. We'll be talking about some Pacers. What do the Pacers, the Lakers, and the Pelicans all have in common? We'll talk about that when we get back right here on the Balance Radio Network. Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike... You know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your move. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Yeah. 
Welcome back to the balance. My name is Tom Marcusell, President. Uh, we are dealing with some technical difficulties this morning that resulted in me having to do things old school wise. But speaking of old school, joining us now from Mobile to be a sports show. How are you, sir? Was that you just calling me old? <laughs> no, I'm just saying old. School. <laughs> oh, old school. Okay, well, that's a compliment. I'll take that. <laughs> well, let's talk, let's talk. We'll get into the elephant of the room in the NBA uh, here in just a moment. But let's kind of recap last week's Super Bowl. Kind of a snooze fest. I mean, if, unless you're a fan of defenses, they say defenses win championships. Uh, but in this case, New England Patriots continue to win championships. And, and unless you're from that small pocket of the world, uh, that is a is a Patriot fan. Uh, although we'll have to give it to Ed. Ed said that the Patriots would would win, and uh, they did, but not in an exciting fashion. But hey, it is a Super Bowl win, and it is another notch in the belt of the New England Patriots. Well, here's what's funny about that to me. We saw a lot of people complain that it was a bad game. It wasn't a good game, you know. But this is the NFL's fault because for the last you know eight nine years, the NFL has done nothing but change rules. Uh, to promote offense, high-scoring, high-powered offenses. You know, if we if we this Super Bowl was played in the uh, you know the late 70s, in the 80s, or the early 90s, we would have thought this was a fantastic game uh, because football was more defensive then. But now the NFL has has groomed us to want and expect offense. So since that's the case, people were complaining that this was not a good Super Bowl. I, I mean, I think it, it, it's hard for me. To, to say it wasn't good. It wasn't exciting, but it was good because you look at it. If you're Wade Phillips going into this game and I say, hey, the Patriots are going to have one offensive snap in the red zone, you think the Rams are going to run away with it. It was a good game. It was not an exciting game, and, be, and that's the NFL's part uh, fault because they've conditioned us to expect a lot of offense. Well, we'll certainly see what happens in, in the offseason. We don't see any signs yet that, that uh, the Brady-Belichick love affair will end, but hopefully uh, something positive in the future uh, with that will come, come down as well. Well, let's talk a little bit. Let's get into the NBA talk. A couple elephants in the room. The Lakers, the Pelicans, and the Pacers all have something in common, and that is that the Lakers had a very bad week. LeBron James had a very bad week. The Pelicans exploited Anthony Davis. Uh, or Anthony Davis exploited the Pelicans, either which way. It doesn't look like he's going to the Lakers. LeBron needs Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis doesn't need LeBron James. And the Pacers give the uh, Lakers a loss, but not only a loss, the worst loss that LeBron James, probably one of the greatest players in the world currently, uh, that he's ever had in the NBA without um, Olin Depot. So talk with us about this week and – Everybody's talking about the Lakers, but not for good reason. Well, let's start with the Pacers. Let's go local first. Uh, you know, I, I, they did have a good week. Uh, they're picking up Wesley Matthews, who was uh, cut uh, from the Knicks. The one thing that I really hoped for the Pacers this week uh, was I was hoping, and it seemed like they were the top team that was going to work out a deal uh, for uh, Memphis guard Mike Conley. And that alone, to me, would have been good for two reasons. A, you got a, a, a guy who's a former all-star and a scoring threat while uh, Victor Oladipo, who got back in the gym already this week, uh, recovers. But not only that, you know, we, we've talked about numerous times, Tom, that, that Victor Oladipo, he needs that second star, he need, uh, second actual star. He's got good players around him, but he's needed that second actual star for the Pacers to take that next step. And the likelihood of signing a, a, a very good all-star player like that uh, in, the, in free agency just isn't likely for Indiana, which is surprising because, I mean, obviously everybody – 
local listening there knows how great of a, a sports town and how great of a town Indianapolis is, and it's the home of basketball. But for some reason, for NBA free agents who are all only, only concerned about their brand nowadays, it's hard to get those big-time free agents to come to Indiana. So trading for Mike Conley would have been great. It didn't happen, uh, but this Pacers team has continued to play well, uh, you know, winners of uh, four straight, uh, beating some pretty decent teams, including the Lakers, by, uh, by 42 points. And, you know, it's, it's a team that is consistently getting better whether with role players, but they need that next big star. So that was the one sad takeaway from that. Uh, I mean, the Pelicans, what they did was just try to embarrass the Lakers like they felt like they got embarrassed by uh, Anthony Davis and Rich Paul, uh, who is also a partner in LeBron James' agency and LeBron James' agent as well. So, uh, you know, they had talked about sending uh, Anthony Davis out the rest of the year, and then uh, that comment uh, from Commissioner Silver came out, and they realized that probably wasn't going to be a good idea. Uh, they did send in the fourth quarter yesterday, but, uh, you know, the Pelicans felt uh, jaded and they felt hurt. and They felt that the Lakers and Rich Paul and Anthony Davis embarrassed them. So they, uh, they released the, uh, the trade details of what the Lakers were offering, and that's caused quite a rift uh, in that uh, organization with the Lakers. I think the Lakers need to be happy, though, Tom, that that didn't happen because it, you saw it happen when Carmelo Anthony wanted to be traded to the Knicks. The Knicks had to, to mortgage every decent player they had to get Carmelo Anthony Carmelo Anthony gets to the Knicks and like, hey, where the hell is everybody? Well, they had to trade him for you, dummy. So that's what would have happened. You, you, you mortgage six guys to, to get Anthony Davis, where he's going to come there, it looks like, regardless when he's a free agent in 2020 anyways. And, you know, it, it seems like who, no matter who trades for him, uh, even if it isn't the Lakers in the offseason, it, it's going to be uh, – he's going to wind up a, a Laker. But the Lakers realize that the clock is ticking – on LeBron James, you know, in, uh, in 2020, LeBron James is going to be 36. And that's not a young 36. It's an old 36 with all those miles on him. Uh, so I think the Lakers, it's going to work out better for them. I think holding on to, to Kuzma uh, at least, and uh, a couple of those other guys will be more beneficial for them when they do land that second guy. I don't think it's going to be Kawhi Leonard. Uh, I think it will be Anthony Davis. But the, the Lakers, I think we're looking at get Anthony Davis now, then it's going to be easier to attract that, that second big name. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But, you know, the East teams got better, Tom. The, the East did uh, very well. We saw Milwaukee get better. We saw the Sixers get better. We saw Toronto get better. Absolutely. And I, I guess one of my questions concerning Anthony Davis here uh, is, first of all, why does Anthony Davis really want to be traded to the Lakers? And that said, he just got one more year. Play one more season. Keep your mouth shut. And you'll, you'll t- be able to take your pick and go anywhere you want and cr- instead of creating all of this rift. Uh, and I don't – like you said, we have a very old LeBron James, old as far as basketball age goes. And there was a picture going around uh, the Internet this past week where LeBron was just sitting on the bench by himself, and that kind of tells the whole story. There's LeBron James, and then there's everybody else. And, it, it, you know, LeBron James's circle is not as wide as it once was. And I just – I guess I just don't understand what Anthony Davis thinks he's going to get by wanting to go to the Lakers with, with LeBron James when he doesn't need LeBron James. LeBron James needs Anthony Davis more than Anthony Davis needs LeBron James. Right. Well, here's what it is, Tom, is that the, the NBA as far – I mean, the most recognizable athletes right now in the, you know, in the, in the country are basketball players because they don't play with a helmet, you know, and, and it's all about building their brand now. And that's one of the things that Anthony Davis has said in the past. You know, he's looking about building the brand. That's why he trademarked the unibrow. He, you know, he wants to build a brand. And let's be honest, he, he's right. He's not going to do that in New Orleans. Uh, and, you know, as much as, as much as they've tried to build a winner down there with pieces like the Pacers have done and one star, it just doesn't work in today's NBA. There's got to be multiple stars. And he realizes in L.A. 
that he can build a brand because the Lakers, let's be honest, whether they're good or bad, the Lakers uh, name, you know, carries a lot of weight when it comes to advertisers. And at the end of the day, you know, he's, he's part of LeBron James agency. I think this entire thing was orchestrated by LeBron James, but he wants to build a brand. And, you know, you could go to the Warriors who are theoretically a smaller market team, not small market, but a smaller market compared to LA, New York, Boston, Chicago. Uh, but, you know, you've got four stars there and they're a huge story and they're winning championships, but to build a brand, and I think that's why you'll see Kevin Garnett maybe wind up with the Knicks. You've got to you've got to be somewhere where you, all eyeballs are on you. And let's be honest, when LeBron James is on the basketball court, all eyes in the NBA are on it. So if you're Anthony Davis, it is a smart move. It, it, the whole I want to play for a winner. Uh, I mean, that, let's be honest, that's BS. But you've got a better shot. Let's be you know, do you want to play in the finals, whether you win them or not? You got a pretty damn good shot when you're playing with LeBron James. He's he's, he's carried worse teams than this current Lakers team to NBA finals. Well, you mentioned Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is the other diva that everybody's talking about. And and, and here's the thing: I don't think that he will. Uh, uh, I, I don't think that he will. He will fare well in New York. I I heard um, uh, Charles Barkley on an interview with Dan Patrick this week say, "Hey, you know, Kevin Durant is 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 got some." some he wears his feelings on his sleeve. I mean, they talk about him in Oklahoma. They talk about him, in, and they talked about him in, in Golden State. Uh, but when they talk about him in New York, they're going to talk about his family, and they mean it. He's not going to be able to handle New York at all. Uh, and Kev, Kevin Durant is just a diva that just needs to play basketball and not worry about what the press is saying about him. Yeah, I mean, if he wants to come east, to me, the one that makes the most sense for him is probably going home to Washington because the press will, I think, be more favorable to him there. I think if he came home, uh, you know, that's going to be his best shot. I, I think, you know, if he wants to branch out, he wants to, I, I believe at this point, now he's got some championships, I believe, he wants to carry a team on his own. So if he's going to do that, and he, if he's going to do that, he, he needs to go east. And if he goes east, uh, the team that makes the most sense, obviously, is going home to Washington because you're right, I, don't, I think he would crumble under the, the press of New York City. Uh, the problem is, you know, to be an elite player, you've got to either take what people say about you and use it as motivation, or you've got to just block it out. You know, we see, uh, we see every year come playoff time, LeBron James completely shuts off social media, interviews, everything. You know, so you've got to be more mentally tough, I think, to be a star. You know, Jordan didn't let that crap bother him. Or if he did, he used it on the court. You know, uh, Jordan was one of those guys who heard everything. Whether you said it or not, he heard it, but he didn't let it. You never saw that it bothered him, and I think that's the the big uh, downfall with Kevin Durant. I mean, he he comes off as just a like you said, a whiny diva at this point. So I think if he wants to lead his own team, and he he should go east, obviously because the West is crowded. And you know, to me, Washington, a dark horse in this whole thing, Tom. If, if Kawhi stays in Toronto, uh, Marcus Gasol's contract expires this year. Toronto would be a very interesting place to see Kevin Durant play with Kawhi Leonard, with Kyle Lowry. That could be a very formidable, very fun team. It's not uh, it's not usually a free agent destination, but if, if Toronto can talk Kawhi in the stand like Oklahoma City did Paul George, that could be, you know, the, the media up there, they're just happy that they have pro sports still. So uh, that could be a very fun, intriguing place to see Kevin Durant play. We'll talk a little bit about the trades and, and the trade daily. Deadline. Let's talk a little bit about how Dallas Mavericks handled uh, the trade of, of Harrison Barnes uh, to the Hornets. Uh, Harrison uh, Barnes was benched at the end of the third quarter, really confused as to why, only to find out 
at the end of the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter, the reason he was being benched was because he had been traded to the Charlotte Hornets. Very, very tacky on, on, on the side of the Dallas Mavericks. They should have let him know prior to the game that there's a very good possibility that this could happen. Do you want to play or do you not want to play? Instead of uh, benching him and then one of the coaches leaning over and telling him, you've been traded to the Hornets, that's why you're benched. Well, I mean, you know, the thing about it is it, it, it's not their choice at that point. If they thought he was going to be traded, they should have held him out of the game from the get-go. But from what I've heard is that this was a trade that popped up very late. It was a, re- a way for them to shed the salary because he is owed a, a good chunk of money next year. Uh, and so when that trade popped up at the, at the middle of the first quarter and got done at halftime uh, and then okayed, you know, like third quarter, uh, and then they set him out, I mean, uh, you, you – yeah, it, it looks bad for Dallas, but you can't fault them when they were able to shed a, a big salary that they had tried to move and hadn't got any interest in, and all of a sudden they're able to do it. You do it when you can. You know, you don't wait till tomorrow. You do it when you can. At the end of the day, it, it, they are human beings, but it is also a business, and it's part of the business. So, I mean, it, it sucks for Harrison Bard, but you know what? How much more coverage did his trade get because of the way it happened? Otherwise, it just would have been another trade. You know, it wasn't as big as the trade the Mavericks made earlier in the week when they got Kristaps Porzingis. So, if you look at it on a positive note, his trade talk got him, became a much bigger story because of the way it happened. Exactly. Well, I know we've only got you for a few uh, more minutes, uh, but let's talk a little bit about Tobias Harris uh, in the 76ers. They were a winner in the trade. You mentioned that, that the, that the uh, East did very well in the trade, and if, if anything else, they were, the, they were the winner. Of course, we saw Zach Lowe and a lot of movement around in the East. So just kind of give us a grade of what you thought happened in the West and the East and just kind of give us a recap of this week's uh, NBA trade. Well, I thought Milwaukee got better with the, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo was a very fun player to watch, but his outside shot is terrible. We saw uh, the highlights of him airballing a three earlier this week. Uh, Them added Nikolai Mirotic, who played phenomenal for the Pelicans last year in the playoffs, who was an outside threat, a big guy. Uh, Adding him to their team uh, was a a phenomenal move uh, as far as I'm concerned. They, they did the trade with the Pistons to turn around and flip those guys for Miritich, which I, I think was a fantastic move. Uh, Tobias Harris is one of the most exciting players in the NBA that nobody talks about because he plays for the Clippers. The thing that worries me is we saw Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, struggle to uh, uh, to get started with uh, Philadelphia. When you go from being the guy to having to share the ball with two other stars, and you know, the same for Tobias Harris, who was the the best player on the Clippers, uh, now having to share the ball with three other guys. We'll see how he, uh, you know, gets into that and how that works for them. But that was also, uh, you know, a, a pretty darn good move uh, for them as well. And then Toronto getting Marcus Gasol from Memphis uh, for the stretch run, I, I think, was, you know, was fantastic. Plus, it gives them some flexibility uh, this summer if they don't resign him. So uh, I think the East got very healthy. The, the Celtics stood by, did nothing, and then got beat by the Lakers, who had just got blown out by the Pacers, uh, you know, uh, earlier this week. So uh, I think Boston was a loser as far as the East goes. Uh, you know, even the Pacers, who picked up uh, a draft pick, and they're going to get uh, Wesley Matthews, who was cut from the Knicks. As far as the West goes, I mean, you know, the Lakers made a few minor moves. Houston made a few minor moves. But I don't think anything that really moved the needle uh, for me so much uh, in the West, other than the fact is you've got to wonder what Jerry West is, is cooking out there when he's done nothing but shed salary because they're going to have to pay Tobias Harris next year and probably a lot of money. So, uh, the wizard out there has, has got some things going uh, for the Clippers, and it'll be interesting to see what Jerry West does. 
Well, you think that Memphis kind of tipped their their hat a little bit with with this uh, trade and and how they acted in the trade because they kind of tipped their hat that hey uh, we're headed for a tank and we're headed for a rebuild. Would you agree with that? Yeah, you know, and what would have been interesting, the original trade to Toronto was Conley and Gasol for Lowry and Valanciunas and a couple other guys in the pick. So that would have really been uh, interesting. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they've got some good pieces down there. Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be their building piece going forward. But, I mean, they're they're not going to keep Marcus Gasol. Uh, you know, Mike Conley, they still owe a bunch of money to. Then uh, they decided to keep him along with Jaron Jackson Jr. to try to, to build that. But it's also not a free agent destination. So, yeah, I mean, they're headed for Tank City, no doubt. Well, let's uh, get your final thoughts here. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, why do I have a brain fart here? I had, I had it written down here. Anyway, uh, first African-American uh, baseball manager, uh, uh, African-American Hall of Famer, dies, Robinson dies. Uh, thoughts on that? Well, I mean, obviously it's sad to see, but, uh, you know, we had heard uh, details of Frank Robinson's health uh, deteriorating over the past couple of years. So uh, it was sad to see, but not a surprise. He did a, made a lot, of, a lot of major steps in this game, and hopefully they figure out a way uh, through all the ballparks to uh, honor him this year for all the contributions he had, uh, not only just for African-Americans, but to the game of baseball. Well, thanks for joining us. I know you got to get back to uh, uh, your show there, and, and uh, so I appreciate you taking some time uh, to talk with us today a little bit about the NBA, and we'll talk with you soon. All right, buddy. Talk to you next week. All right, buddy. Well, for the BS Sports Show, joins us talking about the NBA draft and certainly a recap of the of the NFL. Uh, certainly he's got his own radio show that he's doing, but uh, he had a tape segment, and he said, like, yeah, I could jump on for a few minutes. I really appreciate him doing that. I appreciate you guys sticking with us at the beginning of the show. We had some microphone issues, and we'll get those fixed. It's just you can't get them fixed during the show. The show must go on. And then thanks to Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor, uh, talking with us and getting us ready to go for the 2019 season is about underway. Uh, well, it is underway. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be having qualifying in, uh, tomorrow on Daytona, the duels on Thursday, and, of course, the Daytona 500 on Sunday. Huge racing uh, talk, and really enjoyed uh, that conversation with Steve Wilson. And also, again, thanks to Mo from the BS Sports Show. My name is Sean Mark with El Presidente. Remember to follow us on our social media at T Balance or Facebook, The Balance. And we do this thing called The Balance every Saturday morning. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. Remember, don't drink a drive. It didn't cool. <laughs> it's definitely not cool. 917-889-8516. Mark that down. Put it in your phone. We'll talk to you again next week. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. I'm out of here. Deuces.
Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.